Uh, excellent. Well, welcome everyone again. I just want to add my welcome to Doug's from this morning, that if you are new here, we're so, so glad that you are here this morning. And if this is your home, welcome back. It's good to have you here. So we are continuing in our series in the book of Mark. So uh, don't you want to open up your Bible or turn on your Bible, however you access the beauty that is the Scripture, to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to be reading from verse 13 all the way to verse 31. So Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 31. And just before we get there, I don't know if any of you have been recently or been at all, but I used to love going to Goldroof City as a kid. Has anybody been to Goldroof City? Yes, a few. Okay. Uh, I, I think it was the, like the best day out as a kid. There was the water slide, you get soaking wet, the Tower of Terror, all sorts of crazy things. Uh, it was like the only time in my life my parents would let me eat something like candy floss. It was just a good day out as a young guy. And I had a special advantage that I bet most of you didn't have at Goldwood City, and that was that I was really short as a kid. And I'm only average height as an adult. But as a kid, I was tiny for so, so, so long. And you know when like, they line you for school photos and you're, you're tallest to shortest, and I was always that guy like, skulking towards the back. But at Goldreef City... I had an advantage because maybe you remember this. There used to be a carbon fiber statue of a gold miner. Does this ring a bell to anyone? And if you were shorter than the gold miner, what happened? You got in for free. So other clowns are paying for their teenagers to get into Gold Reef City. Not my parents. Okay, because for once in my life, being little actually paid off. And uh, it's funny because I grew up and I realized it worked like that. It's not often that being little works in your favor because society has the opposite mentality to that gold miner outside Gold Reef City. Society celebrates you when you're big, when you're larger than life, when you're over when you're whatever at anything, when you're an achiever, when you've done it yourself, when you're the go-getter, you're the one that gets celebrated. But in the kingdom of God, it's not like that. The kingdom of God is much more like that carbon fiber statue. Because in God's kingdom, little that get in for free. Not the achievers, not those who promote themselves. It is the little who get in for free. And I know that that's counterintuitive. And I know that that swims upstream to everything you've probably been taught <laughs> as you've grown up. But this is what Jesus is about. He says it's the little, it's the overlooked, it's the confused, it's the lost, it's the sinful. These are the people who come to him for free. And the passage we're about to look at It's got two episodes. It's a sort of how-to guide and a how-not-to guide to entering the kingdom of God. The first episode is Jesus as he's talking to, or as he rebukes the disciples for stopping the children from coming to him. And he uses that as, as as a lesson to say, hey, this is how you enter the kingdom of God. And then the next episode is a rich young man approaching Jesus. And that doesn't go well, which we'll see. And Jesus uses that to say, hey, this is how you do not enter the kingdom. So it's a how-to guide and a how-not-to guide to approaching Jesus and entering the kingdom of God. So let's dive in. Let's read from Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Read with me here. And the words will be on screen as well if you don't have a Bible with you. And they were bringing children to him, and that's Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such 
belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. And he took them into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I want to just pause there for a second because that, that's quite a confusing line by Jesus. And there's lots of people who have used that. You may even have heard this yourself if you've been into the world of apologetics. A lot of people who say, Ah, oh, you see, so Jesus didn't think he was God. Because this guy comes and calls him good, and Jesus is like, oh, don't call me good, that's for God. That's not what's happening. It's pretty unambiguously clear throughout the scriptures that Jesus knew that he was God in the flesh. What Jesus is doing here is he's slowing the man down, and he's saying, take a breath and remember what you're calling me. Because if you're calling me good, you are also calling me God. He's not saying I'm not God. Me good. If you give me that title, remember that that's a title that belongs to God only. And so if you call me that, remember that you're calling me God. Okay, back on from verse 19. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Would you pray with me as we start to unpack this together? Jesus, when we come to your words, we know that we need your Holy Spirit to make sense of them to us. Otherwise, these are just words on a page. We trust that this is God-breathed and it's good for us to hear this, to be built up by this and challenged by this and given rest in the gospel through this. So I pray that you would give me the grace to handle the word of God with faithfulness. And I pray that you would give us the grace as we listen to receive it as the word of God. And there's nothing less than that. Church, would you just take 10 seconds just to pray for your own heart now and say, God, would you soften my heart to hear what you want to say to me today?
grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Okay, episode one, here we go. Episode one, Jesus with the children. And the first way that we approach God, the first way we come into the kingdom of God is like this, is like dependent children. So the passage starts with these disciples, the disciples trying to shoo away these kids from coming to Jesus. And they're probably doing that for a few reasons. The first one is that they're trying to be good disciples. And they're trying to say, like, Jesus can't hug every kid. He can't lay his hand on every kid. He's got cities that he's got to visit. He's got sick people he's got to heal. Like, he can't just be spending his time with every person who comes up to him. They're trying to be good disciples. But there's actually a deeper cultural thing here. Here's a second reason. It's because in this day, children were not valued. And they're trying, to, they're trying to say to Jesus, hey, like, you've got better people to spend your time with. And I know that that's probably something that's quite hard for us to understand. Because we love kids. And there are some cultures that love kids way more than this culture loves kids or these cultures love kids. But boy, do we love kids. My popularity has shot through the roof in the last 10 months. I get greeted in the street by total strangers because I've got a fairly cute little 10-month-old kid called Benji. People just seem to love me these days. And not because I've changed, but because we've got a kid now. People on the streets, I was... Full, I was the, I mean, we have still got power. I thought I was dying there. Um, because we've got a kid. In this day, it was so, so, so different. Children weren't seen as precious. They weren't seen as valued. They were this the awkward necessity between birth and when you became an adult. That's all you were. You didn't have rights. You didn't have claims. You couldn't. You had for everything that you got. It's nothing like we have. Nothing like kids today. They had no status whatsoever. To give you a sense of that, kids could be put to death at the order of their parents if they wanted to. Infanticide, the killing of children, wasn't made illegal for another 300 years after this. This is radical stuff that Jesus is saying. And if that's how society was viewing kids, it's no wonder that the disciples are saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, you've got so many better things to do than be hassled by society's leftovers. They're trying to protect him from, this, from these insignificant little creatures. Jesus doesn't buy into that. Jesus gets indignant. And that word that Mark writes here means it's an anger that is aroused by injustice. Something unjust is taking place before him. And then he says this, look at verse 14. He says, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to them, to such these, belongs the kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child won't enter. And think about what we've just learned about what children were in that culture. And he says, if you don't receive it like that, if you don't walk into the kingdom of God like someone who's got nothing to offer, like someone who has got no status at all, no claims, no rights, if you don't receive it like that, then you don't receive the kingdom of God. That's a pretty radical statement from Jesus. And those are his words. If you don't come like a child, you don't come at all. It's very easy for us, I think, to, to look at the kids we know and to say things like, oh, okay, I guess that means Jesus says we've got to be, uh, be joyful like a child, be accepting like a child. But we, we can't just filter out some of the positive characteristics 
and leave out the negative ones because children can also be rude. Children, like we were at a friend's house yesterday, kids are just grabbing Benji's hair and pushing him. It's, it's wild out there. Is that how God wants you to enter the kingdom, pushing and shouting at your parents at dinner time? Probably not. Jesus isn't saying, hey, look at some positive characteristics, but leave out the negative. He's saying, look at the objectively low and the objectively humble position of children. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. And again, if you don't come like that, then you don't come at all. These, these children aren't welcomed by Jesus and embraced by Jesus because they bring anything. They're welcomed precisely because they can't bring anything to him. When we come to God, we come like that as well. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And I love this. It says, And this is not your own doing. You didn't come with anything. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So if you don't enter like that, if you don't come to God knowing that you've got nothing to offer, nothing in your hands, that you need to rely wholly and totally dependently on Him, then in the words of Jesus, you don't come at all. And so I need a pause before we move on to another part and just say, have you come to Jesus like that? And if this is new to you, the first time you're hearing that you are saved by grace, not by works, I really just want to remind you that the equation for coming to God is always, it never changes, it's always Jesus plus nothing you bring equals you get rescued. That's it. It's not Jesus plus a little bit of your good works and he makes up the other, other or Jesus plus a lot of your good works and he just carries you over the line. It is Jesus plus nothing you get saved and you get rescued. And like with these children, I love having kids in the services. <laughs> Let them come. <laughs> uh, amen to that. Uh, I've lost my place now. <laughs> like these kids, Jesus is, wants to bring you into his arms and bless you. And if you're striving after him, he wants to bring you into his arms and bless you and give you rest. That's what the gospel is. It is a, a light yoke and an easy burden. And on the flip side of that is, is if you think you have lots, God is reminding you that all you need is him. If you think you stand before God by your own efforts, he's saying, actually, all you have needed this whole time is me because you're a child. If you already know God, if you've already taken that step of faith in the kingdom, I just want to challenge you and say, do you still have that, that spirit of littleness? Because it's easy, I think, for us to to feel like, yeah, 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 I entered like a child, but now I'm, I'm, I'm an adult, now I'm earning a salary in the Sort of weird language there. But are you still a child? Because that's the only way to be in the kingdom. Because God's grace never is less effective in our lives, ever. We are still as in need of God's grace. That song we're just saying, Lord, I need you, is as true on the day you come to faith and 50 years down the line. Do you have a spirit of littleness? And if not, that God is calling you to remember your childhood in the kingdom because there's no other way to be in the kingdom. The only adults in the kingdom is God. The rest of us are children. Second thing we see in this passage about how to enter the kingdom is in verse 28 to 31. And it's this, we enter with the knowledge of our Father's provision. 
So after the call that Jesus makes to the rich man, Peter does this classic Peter thing. Peter is always revving his mouth and his brain is not in gear. He's always just saying stuff that doesn't make sense. And Peter does this thing when Jesus uh, challenges the rich man. He says, oh, Jesus, just don't, just don't forget. He, he's, he walked away. He's obviously not a good disciple. But these guys, disciples, we're good guys. Like, look how much we gave up for you. Isn't that great? And Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're so good. Look how much you've given up. He is so quick to remind Peter that you can never out-sacrifice God. There's some of us here who have, who have given up a lot for God. You, you can never out-sacrifice God. The maths here is outstanding. I'm not brilliant at maths. But P- Jesus says that you give up one, you get a hundred. That is quite good. Yeah? You give up your home, you find a hundred homes in the kingdom. You give up your family, you find a hundred families in the kingdom. That is excellent for us. And this is a challenge. And where's, where's Vanessa? Is she still here? Downstairs. So I'm so amazed that Vanessa shared what she shared this morning about, about in standing in for each other because that is the fulfillment of this promise from Jesus. The way we receive lands and homes and mums and siblings is through the church. And so this passage is a call to us to step up because the church is not just strangers on a Sunday or people in your home on a Wednesday. It's the blood-bought family of God. Jesus says, those who do my will, who do the Father's will, those are my family. And so when you leave family or home or land for the gospel, you find it in the church. And so the challenge to us is to say, hey, are you being family to those who've left things to follow Jesus? What this means is that in the church, nobody sits on the periphery. Nobody sits on the outside. It means that if you're single in the church, you don't really feel single because you've got family. If you aren't able to have kids and you want kids, that you don't feel barren in the church because you've got, you've got children in the faith. It means that if you don't have enough money, and this, and this is maybe, and I don't think I'm pushing this too far, that the church is a stand-in for your family. But if you lack resources, you find the resources of a generous family. Not just exactly it, a hundred times that, because that's the size of God's church. It is a challenge, and I hope you hear that, not to live just side by side, but not in each other's lives here. Jesus is saying we need to, for his sake, be family to each other, be welcoming, be generous. That's the challenge to us because that's evidence of the grace of God. (laughs) It's evidence that we're all dependent on God and interdependent on each other as his his family and siblings to each other. I really hope you hear that this morning. The church, we need to step up in the way that we care for each other. We enter God's kingdom as dependent children with a knowledge of his provision to us. And that's episode one. Episode two, it's a tough one. How not to enter the kingdom of God. And here's how we get to the rich man. The first way and the predominant way we see in this passage, and I'll spend most of the next part of this preach focusing on this section, and there'll be two others that I'll get through quite quickly. We do not enter the kingdom of God trusting in wealth. Something I've noticed recently, so Benji is 10 months old, is that suddenly everything is a death trap. Stairs, he could fall down. Because now he's crawling and he's cruising around. Suddenly 
the place that you used to call home feels really, really dangerous. Because he's, he's like a plug point, and he, he, he will honestly move across the room to put his fling, finger in a plug hole. It's wild. Everything feels dangerous. old kid. And I feel like I spend a lot of my time slapping things out of his hand to stop him choking himself. Grapes apparently can kill children. This is, this is news to me. Okay, blueberries apparently can kill children. It is crazy. Everything feels dangerous. And we know that choking is dangerous for kids. But we, we don't take seriously what Jesus says is a choking hazard for us in our faith. Let me read you a verse here from in, the, in this gospel. So Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sower. And Jesus says this in verse 18. Others are the ones they're the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and they choke. They choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the thrust of the second episode. That loving wealth is a choking hazard for you. Loving wealth is a choking hazard for your faith. Listen to the words of Jesus. It enters in, it chokes your faith and makes your life unfruitful. It's a sobering, sobering message that Jesus has for us here. And Jesus gives this man one of the most intense calls to follow him in all the Bible. He says, you leave everything you have, you sell it, you give it to the poor, and then you come follow me. And I just want to say that this is not a universal call to every believer. But don't check out. I see Liam's like, oh. It also can't be ignored. And we need to hold that intention. It's not a universal call, but it can't be ignored. It's not a universal call because there are multiple other times in the Old Testament and the New Testament when, when Yahweh or Jesus interacts with people who have plenty of wealth, Abraham, for example, David, for example, and he doesn't say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Okay, it's not a universal call. But it also can't be ignored because the tendency for us is to say, it was just for him, not for me. I'm just going to keep all my money in the bank. It can't be ignored because the call to follow Jesus is always a call to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow him. So for this man, the issue that stood between him and discipleship was his wealth. So Jesus said, I'm just going to move that to the side. And if you want to follow me, that's what's standing in the way. And for some of us, it is the same thing. For some of you this morning, Jesus is saying, you love wealth so much, you can't even see the face of God. Let's move that to the side. For others of us, it's reputation. For others of us, it's sinful patterns of behavior. There are multiple other things it could be, but if you follow Jesus, it's not primarily a call to poverty, it's a call to discipleship. And anyone for a second, because it's such a wonderful verse. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and then said to him, now go sell everything you have. <laughs> whatever Jesus calls you to, whatever aspect he's saying, you've got to deny that to walk in following me. He never does that from a place of anger or bitterness or resentment. He looks at you in love and he says, that idol that's in the way of your highest joy in God, let's get that out of the way. He says it in love. And another quick, 
quick caveat before I, I dive into unpacking the danger of wealth, or loving wealth rather, is, uh, is try not to see yourself as below the wealth danger line. Because I, I know I do this. If ever I hear someone speak about money, I always look around the room and I'm like, okay, they, I know their house is bigger. I know they drive a nicer car. I know those kids went to that school. Everyone thinks that the wealth danger line is above wherever you are. It's convenient, right? <laughs> it's like everyone else is in trouble. Like I hope Doug hears this preach. Except, except me. Jesus doesn't say where that line is. And so we don't get to choose where that line is. Consider yourself as needing to hear this. Because the love of money can govern your heart whether you have money or not. Do you hear that? The wealth danger line is whenever there is money, the love of money in your heart. So consider yourself as needing to hear this, whether you can look around the room and point to 10 other people who've got more than you. It doesn't matter. Consider yourself needing to hear this. And here is the main issue with loving wealth. This is why Jesus turns around and says, oh, it is, it is impossible without God that the rich enter the kingdom. That's a hectic thing for God to say. We're sitting in the northern suburbs of Joburg. People generally have money in this area. And I know there are people who... is nearly impossible for people with money to come to God. We need to hear that this morning. And why is it so impossible? It's because money, attachment and a loyalty issue in our hearts. What the love of money does is it ties your feet with a golden chain to the world. It makes your stake in the world so high that you can't think to look beyond it to the things that really matter. The love of money creates in you a false sense of security that you don't need to be dependent on anyone. It's fine. Like, stuff goes wrong. If COVID hits, I'm just going to depend on the savings that we built up. The love of money hardens your heart against trusting only God. And it takes away that childlikeness in you that says, I'm helpless and I'm dependent. And so if it takes away that childlikeness, which we've just seen, is if you don't enter like that, you don't come at all. Then it's no wonder that Jesus... Uh, can people be saved unless it's by the power of God? Is the battery dying? Technical difficulties, sorry about that. So Jesus takes aim at this man's core loyalty, and for him it's the love of money. And this is the only account in all of the Gospels where someone walks away from Jesus when he invites him to follow him. That's sobering for us. And the reason that he walked away was the love of money was greater than the love of Jesus. And so I need to ask you that same question. Where is your loyalty? Is your loyalty to Jesus standing before you saying, come to me like a child, I want to hold you in my arms and bless you? 
Or is it with God? Or is it with money? Sorry. And I want to challenge us to, to war, and I use that language carefully, to wage war against the love of money in our hearts. And there, I think there are many ways to do this. The one way I want to say that we need to do this as a church is to give the money away. <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase uh, a wonderful quote by a guy called Tim Keller, who may, may be known to some of you. He's a really great theologian. He says, God doesn't ask you to give to get the money out of your wallet. He asks you to give to get the idol out of your heart. God doesn't need your money. God is not struggling to pay bills. God is not waiting for the month to end. He's not waiting for payday. God owns literally everything you can imagine and more. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And so he's not asking you to give just so that he, like the church has more money. <laughs> he's asking you to give because he wants all of you. And I can say this really freely. Guys, give to the church. None of that money is coming to me. I'm not paid by the church, okay? Give liberally, generously, sacrificially to the work of, God's, or work of God in this church. Give sacrificially, generously, regularly to what stirs the heart of God outside of this church as well. Give to what God is doing in the world in, in terms of justice. Give to what he's doing in terms of mission. Give to get the idol out of your heart because otherwise it's going to govern you. And I, it's not my place to stand here and say, okay, it's this percentage for you and that percentage for you. All I'll say is start where you are. And if at the moment you don't give anything, consider giving because maybe there's an idol in your heart. And if you already give a amount that you think is sacrificial, pray again. God, is, like, are you calling me to give more? But the way that we war against the love of money is that we give it away. And start where you are. That's what I'll say on that. And here are a few other things that we see in this passage about how not to enter the kingdom. Verse 17, we see that we don't enter with outward devotion only. The man comes doing all the right things. Look at him. He runs. It's, it was totally shameful for men to run in that day. He kneels before God. He calls him good teacher, and he asks him a question about eternal life. It sounds like it's going well for this guy. If we saw that now, we think, oh, look how spiritual that guy is. Oh, look at him. He knows what he's doing. But when push comes to shove, that guy walks away from Jesus. When Jesus gets to the heart of the issue, that man doesn't want him. He wants something else. And all I'll say is this, that the outward, appearance of your, the outward appearances of your life don't impress Jesus. Jesus is interested in where your heart is at. And so if, you trust, if, you, if your trust in God is based on the fact that you rock up in church every Sunday, that, you, that you, you do the right thing in front of people, that you say the right thing in front of people, it's not enough. Because Jesus is looking and seeing your heart. And the flip side of that is this, that if you love God, but you're in a season where you are just beaten down, if you're, you're a new parent, if you're overwhelmed, you're overwhelmed by work, anxiety, burnout, whatever it is, if your heart loves God, but you're struggling as it is, as you are now to connect with God, God sees your heart and he honors that heart and he loves you. And like those children, he says, come to me that I can bless you in my arms. God is looking through the outside is looking into your heart. The last thing here is verse 19 and 20. We do not come into the kingdom of God holding on to our achievements. This is one of the, uh, the ballsiest lines in all of Scripture. That this man looks at God. <laughs> he looks at the one who made the law. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those laws, I've kept those. 
Oh yeah, since I was a kid. Sure, easy game. He's telling God that he has kept everything perfectly. That is a bold claim to say the least. But the problem with that is the same problem that you and I have. Is we approach God and we think that we can come to God based on what we've done. We come with the assumption that coming to God's presence is something that can be earned. So I just want to say that if you stand before God and you come to him saying, I did right, I did all these good things, here's my good, it outweighs my bad, you have missed the point. And Jesus looks at you with love like he looks at this man and says, hey, I love you, you're wrong. <laughs> because the kingdom of God isn't the place for the self-promoting, the self-aggrandizing, the people who are doing it by themselves. The kingdom of God is for those who know that they are children, who come helpless, who come... Dependent. And as I close, I just want to look at the question the disciples asked Jesus. After he gave them the stark warning about the danger of wealth, they hear it and they get, I think, the, what's the word they have here? Something like utterly astonished. Exceedingly astonished, verse 26. They can't believe. Jesus has just said how hard it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. They are in a cold sweat, these guys. And I don't think we've heard the passage unless we ask the question they asked. Because they hear what Jesus says and they say, who on earth can be saved? And we haven't heard this passage unless part of us is thinking, oh, man, my heart is a mess. I love money. I'm loving my achievements. I'm loving everything else, but not just running to God helplessly. If we don't feel that, we haven't heard what Jesus is saying. Because the key to understanding this entire passage is in, in Jesus' response to what they say. They say, who can be saved? And he says, yes, now you're asking the right question because it's not by your power. What's impossible for you is possible with God. It's grace. What is impossible for you is possible with God. If you're feeling like it's impossible for you to get the love of money out of your heart, it is possible with God. If you're feeling like it's impossible to find rest in your faith because of all your striving, it is possible with God. It's by His grace. Coming to God is by His grace. Entering the kingdom is by His grace. Knowing Him deeply, intimately, personally, that's by His grace. What is impossible for us is possible with God. And I, and I want to urge you today to respond to God. I, I love it when people come forward to be prayed for. And I know that God can work in your heart even if you don't come up to the front. I'm not saying that God doesn't work in you if you don't. But I really believe in my heart that when God is doing something spiritually, we respond physically. We've, and we know that church is a family. So there are brothers and sisters and mums and dads around you who are going to pray for you. And I want to say, do not leave here without engaging with God on this. If he's, if he's putting his finger on something in your heart that he's saying, hey, this is an idol and it needs to step out of the way. Let's, let's confess that and let's pray for each other. And so after we worship, before, if you want to leave, please go ahead and enjoy your coffee. But if you want to just respond to something that God is doing to you, please don't leave. Come forward. Someone here will pray for you. And there's just a few groups that I think God might be speaking to this morning. The first is people who need to be reminded of their littleness. If you need to be reminded afresh of the grace of God and the fact that you are a child who he loves and welcomes in, welcomes in and blesses, let's pray. If you are someone who feels like you have lost so much by following Jesus, 
come and be reminded in prayer that, that you can't out-sacrifice God. If you're someone who has the love of money in their hearts and it and it's impedes your relationship with Jesus, come, let's pray for that. And if you're someone who's hearing the grace of God for the first time and you want to say yes to Jesus and come to faith today, let's pray for you. So I'm, I'll close in prayer and then I, I, Liam and the guys are going to come and, and close with a few songs. Let's pray.